0: Thank you for being willing to chit-chat with each other during that time so that our parents got time to get their kids checked in and then land up here for the start of what we're doing. I have so much nervous energy, so you know what that is? Like you're pumped and you're also nervous that I woke up at 5.30 yesterday and I thought it was Sunday. And I went through the entire routine of getting ready to do what I have to do to serve you. And I got home at 8.15 and everybody was sound asleep, sleep and the lights were off. I was like, what is going on? Julie goes, Dad, I don't have to get up early on Saturday. That's why the band wasn't at the church by 8 o'clock. Anyway, um, I'm hopeful that something beautiful will happen with us and in us through this word this morning. So let's pray for that together. Father, visit us as you do by your word. Be gracious to us. We are always in a rush and always distracted, but you deserve more than that. So I pray that we would give clear attention to the Word of God and that we would be changed by it this morning. And not just us, but women, daughters that we have not met yet would be changed through not only what we're doing in shaping our women to make disciples, but in this text of Scripture. So please hear me and be answering that prayer as we give attention to your Word this morning. Yes. Amen. All right, we're preaching through the book of Acts. One of the themes that pervades the book of Acts is the apostles' insistence that they must obey God rather than men. They must obey God rather than men. So we saw this so clearly in the scene that we just worked through. The apostles are arrested and they are imprisoned and they are interrogated, and then they are threatened to stop talking about Jesus and his resurrection and his gospel of grace among the people of Jerusalem. They are told, don't go there anymore by all the powers of their world. But the apostles were like, look, we hear your threats, and we know that it would be way easier easier for us to not say yes to the things that Christ has called us to. And we know that going the route of obedience is going to cost us tremendously. But they keep saying, we would rather endure the scorn and the shame and the shots of this world than lose out on all that God intends to do in us and through us as we obey him. Don't you love that? Over and over and over go. again in this book, you're going to see that these first Christians said no to the approval and the applause of their world if it meant being unable to say yes to the call of God on their lives. That's the book of Acts. Acts. Okay, now my job on this Christmas morning, and you see the unbelievable job that the Melrose Commons Gospel Community did in decorating this place up for Christmas, my job on this Christmas morning is to show you from the text of Luke chapter 1 this, as it was with the apostles at Jesus' ascension, so it was with Mary at Jesus' conception. And I cannot think of a better text to preach through with you than the day that we're laying hands on and praying for some of our women who are going to be serving you and piloting some beautiful discipleship in the coming years than Luke's telling us about Mary's yes to the very, very, very costly call of God on her life. Say it like this. Jesus' mom is, Kalo's track, defined. Jesus' mom is, gospel femininity defined, she is fearlessly, fearlessly obedient, incredibly bold, humble, and wildly blessed, and that is what God, Father, Son, and Spirit intends for every single woman, every single daughter we will ever have in the life of our church, that's what I'm going to try and convince you of today from this text of Scripture because that is what is here. All right, if this text is going to make any sense to anybody in this room and hit us and move us and change us the way that the Spirit intends, the first thing we need to do is get inside of the dilemma that Mary faced. I need you to feel this thing as Mary would have faced it. So here's what we know about Mary going into the text. Mary is young and poor and unmarried. Okay, so she's young. What does that mean? Young. Most likely between 12 and 16 years old. That might sound kind of crazy to us, but it was not uncommon for a Jewish woman to begin stepping into marriage and building a family at that early teenage years. She's very young. She is also poor. Think of it like this. In this time, you had Judea, and Jerusalem in the south. Wealthy, proud, educated, sophisticated. That's where you wanted to be born and from. A little bit north of that, you had Samaria. Also proud, but half-breed Jews. So Jewish, but, but sort of, kind of, but not like a Jerusalem Jew. Above Samaria, you had Galilee, it was also called Galilee of the Gentiles because it was right up above where the border of where the pagans lived. So if you were from Galilee, you were dirty. I mean, you live so close to the impure, unclean, despicable pagans, Galilee of the Gentiles. And in the worst part of Galilee, I mean, the single wide trailer park on eight mile road where Eminem was from. That's what I'm talking about. In that part of Galilee, it's called Nazareth. That is where Mary is from. We see in the gospel story when Nathanael first hears that Jesus is from Nazareth, what does he say right away? You've got to be kidding me. Can anything good ever come out of where? Nazareth? People from Judea looked down on people from Samaria. People from Samaria looked down on people from Galilee. People from Galilee looked down on people from Nazareth. People from Nazareth did not have anyone to look down on. This is the bottom of the barrel. Okay, contextualize for you. Beacon Hill, Winchester, Melrose, Everett and then the projects up on the hill above Glendale Park. And I can say that without slandering. I grew up a few blocks from there. This is where Mary is from. Despised, forgotten, poor, nobodies. And she's unmarried. But she's a virgin, and she's engaged. So there is this flicker of hope in Mary's life. This flicker of hope. Mary is getting married The text says that she is betrothed. That means wicked, seriously engaged, like this is definitely, definitely going down to a godly man named Joseph. So feel this. If anything good is going to come of Mary's life, any joy, any hope, it's going to be in the context of this marriage. She's kept herself sexually pure, which was vital and essential in this day before stepping into a marriage. She's getting ready for this, Feel this. Nothing can mess this up for Mary. Nothing can mess this up for Mary. And then the Lord, through his angel, visits Mary. And these are the words of Scripture. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. This virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Okay, that right there is a pathetic Protestant translation, but it's okay. We're very afraid with our Protestant Bibles to echo the kind of things that we think lead us down the road of Mariolatry and worship of Mary. So we have changed this to greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. I prefer the version that you're probably more familiar with. What is it? I'm the only one who knows it. Somebody does. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with you. Okay, you have to feel, uh, you have to feel the happiness, and the gladness, and the wonder, and and the joy, and the the optimism in this greeting. Yo, Mary, you are. Full Filled up with the grace of God. The Lord, in a unique way, is with you. Okay, you feel that greeting, and what are you expecting to read next in your Bible? You're expecting that Mary has hit the divine jackpot of some sort. Something amazing and happy and easy and wonderful. Caribbean cruise, 10 days, it's all yours. What's that Starbucks for life commercial? That doesn't excite me, but that excites some of you, okay? How about an infinitely charged card to finish line at the mall just never runs out, never runs out? I don't know what it was going to be for her. Your wedding celebration completely paid for. A brand new donkey, a, a lush field in the best part of town for you and Joseph, Something fun, happy, easy, awesome is about to be announced to Mary. But here's what the angel says. Do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Okay, I'm going to isolate some verses up here so that you don't miss this with me. Here's the conversation that they just had. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. How will this be? I, I'm a virgin. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now I need you to feel Mary's dilemma. And here it is. Mary is young. Mary is poor. Mary is unmarried. And now what? Mary is Pregnant. That is not the kind of grace and favor and blessing that you thought was coming based on this happy greeting. Mary's already from a despised city and a despised hood in that city. She had a husband coming, but she might not any longer. She is pregnant, and it is unplanned. And in the eyes of anyone who hears about it, it is illegitimate. This is not good news. We would say it like this. Mary's life is over if she has this baby. Okay, now, what would our Bostonian Cultural Council actually insistence be on Mary to do right here? I mean, there's absolutely no doubt about what the answer to that question is, right? What is it? Come on, we can talk about this, right? The most unloving and scared thing your pastor can do is not talk straight to you. What is it? It's abortion. Without hesitation, man, without delay, without even a tinge of conscience, we would tell 15, 16 year old Mary to get rid of of that baby what is it the first trimester Mary wait wait it's like the first few days here this is simple we'll take care of it and you can just go right back on your regularly, regularly scheduled life by this afternoon okay. at the Massachusetts General Hospital Clinic inside of Revere High School if Mary came down after second period and said to the nurse, I think I'm pregnant, and her mom or dad had signed that waiver form, which is one of about 50 sheets you got to sign at the start of the year, without question or hesitation, they would hand her a pill that would kill the baby in her womb. You know this. If Mary walked into Planned Parenthood, same thing. If Mary walked into the counseling office at Tufts (laughs) University, same thing. Almost anywhere Mary would go in Bostonian culture would tell her what to do. We know how this text ends in Boston. We need to own that this morning. All right, abortion was available in this time. It's much more dangerous. It's much more expensive. It was reserved for the elites. But I'm telling you that it would have been inconceivable for Mary to think about taking the life of the child within her. Okay, so you say, maybe not that end to this text, but there are other objections. Think of all the other objections. We are ready to hear from Mary. Mary, God has assigned to you an unplanned pregnancy. You are going to serve His purposes by being a mom to a son. He's going to call you to conceive and carry and nurture and raise the Messiah. Morning sickness is coming. Weight gain is coming. A brutally painful delivery. No anesthesiologists in this day is coming. Perhaps the end of your marriage before it begins is coming. You guys with me? A life of humiliation And struggle and shame is coming. You are about to lose access to some of the great dreams that you may have had for your life. You're going to lose the applause and the approval of your village and your world. But this is what God has for you. Okay, read the Bible with me. What kind of objections could you see Mary raising to this call of God on her life? So here's the objections that I'm expecting to hear from Mary. Mary, I'm going to use a little poetic license here, a little anachronism, but just hang with me. You can add to the list yourself. Things I wouldn't be surprised to hear Mary say. No way. I can't afford this. No way. This is my body, and I say what happens in here. No way. I don't want to go through a pregnancy right now. I've already booked some things to be doing that a baby wouldn't jive with the next six months of my life. No way. I won't get to go to college. No way. I haven't begun to establish my career yet. No way. I don't even want to think about raising a son on my own. I'm not ready to care for a child. No way. I'm not the motherly type, Gabriel. No way this is going to cause me to lose Joseph and, and this marriage we've been looking forward to. No way. I mean, even if Joseph somehow sticks with me, my wedding day is going to be ruined. How would we ever present ourselves in our community, in our village? No way. I am not bringing this shame on my family. No way. I don't want to be a stigma for the rest of my life. Mary from Nazareth becoming a slander and a joke. No way, Gabriel. Nobody's ever going to believe this story. Yeah, the Spirit of God conceived that baby in you, Mary. Okay, sweetie, we know what goes down in the projects. No way my life ends, Gabriel, if I carry and bear this baby. Okay, there's probably a hundred other objections that you could come up with. Some are petty, some are totally legit, are they not? But they all end with Mary saying, No way, no way. And so the next verse of Scripture should just absolutely knock you out of your seat. Here it is. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. I mean, what in the world? is that right there. That is faith right there. That is belief right there. That's the response of a ferociously holy woman. If this is what the Lord has for me, I'm in. If this is what the Lord intends for me, I'm in. If this is the path that the Lord is marking out for me, I'm in. If this is how the Lord is defining my life, I'm in. Elizabeth Elliot, modern day Mary, says it like this. The gospel story begins with the mystery of charity. A young woman is visited by an angel and given a stunning piece of news about becoming the mother of the Son of God. Unlike Eve, whose response to God was calculating and self-serving, the Virgin Mary's answer holds no hesitation about risks, about losses, about the interruption of her own plans. It is an utter and unconditional self-giving. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then Elizabeth says this, this is what I understand to be the essence of femininity. Mary had no ambition for anything but the will of God. Mary had no ambition for anything but the will of God. Mary said yes to the very, very, very costly call of God on her life. And so this is what becomes Mary's legacy. Here's Mary's legacy. Fearlessly obedient, wildly blessed. Fearlessly obedient and wildly blessed because of it. Okay, let's talk on that. How does the Lord respond to Mary's humble and obedient embrace of his intentions for her body, for her life, for her story? How does the Lord respond to her yes? You've got to get this because this is always, always, always the way with our Father, always. He calls us to a long, difficult obedience, and then he meets us there with wild blessings. Wild blessing. Blessing the world could never give us. Blessing that only he can bestow. Okay, check this out. The rest of the story. Verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting hit my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that the there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Okay, I'm trying to serve you. You have to feel this. Mary, unsurprisingly, does what? She leaves home for a stretch. Not a surprise. Immediately, you can feel the weight of her yes to obedience to the Lord. She's supposed to be home right now with her mom, If if you're married, you remember your wife and her mom, if they were still together, getting ready for that wedding day, some of the funnest months and weeks of life. She's supposed to be in Nazareth with her mom, with her sisters, with her village, getting ready for this great wedding. She's supposed to be surfing Pinterest, looking for centerpiece ideas. She's supposed to be meeting with her DJ and saying, no mid-90s rap, just straight 70s. We want to have a good time. She's supposed to be taste testing what's going to happen at this wedding, picking out a dress for her thin, beautiful frame. This is what she's supposed to be doing right now, her plans for her life. And instead what? Mary's dealing with the first few months of a pregnancy. And you know that nobody believes Mary's story right now. I mean, did she even dare to tell anyone? Like, we're not positive if she did or not. But you know that if she did and the word got out, everyone in this village is saying what? Whatever, whatever. But I mean, did she even tell her mom? I mean, you could see her telling her mom and her mom just being like, Mary, I love you. Baby, I love you. And I want to believe you so bad. I really do. But it's all just like wild and crazy. And and what are you talking about? Angels and God and the Messiah in Nazareth? I just, I just don't know. Do you feel this weight on Mary as she leaves alone and carries this truth alone? I'm the only one, God, in the world who knows, who gets it, who believes that I'm carrying the Christ within me. Mary's alone, right? But then she walks into Elizabeth's house. And what is the first thing that Elizabeth says to her? What does she say? She says this. Why is it granted that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Do you feel this? In other words, what? I believe you. I believe you, Mary. I know, I know, inside of you, I know, I know what God has called you to. I get it. I get it. I mean, what kind of comfort would that have been for this young girl at this time in her life? What a gift of the grace of God. Wild blessing that God in his providence gives her, Elizabeth. And it's not just that one one moment, I get it, I believe you, I'm with you. It's this whole scene, right? Here's how the text ends. It says, and Mary remained with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned to her home. One of the crazy beautiful things of, of doing this Kalos track for the first time is just having scripture come alive to me in a new way because I'm sitting and I'm shutting this mouth and I'm listening to these holy women engage the text of Scripture. And all these things that I never would have seen are, are beautifully coming out for me. When we got to this verse, one of, one of these women pointed out how comforting and how helpful and how glad it would have been for Mary to have this time ordained for her by God with Elizabeth. She is not Alone in this pregnancy, both Mary and Elizabeth are carrying babies together for the first time. This is God's grace to her. So they're both puking their guts out together. You know what I'm talking about? They're both banging into each other on their way to the bathroom in the middle of the night. They're both turning sideways in the mirror and being like, What in the world is going on to this body? They are both ice cream and pickles and whatever else it is that goes. They are both talking about their fears. Their concerns, what they're worried about, maybe feeling Elizabeth's baby kick inside of her together. Mary is safe. Mary is cared for. Mary is loved. Do you feel that? Joy, fellowship, community. Two holy women who have said yes to God's call on their lives. God prepared Elizabeth for Mary and not just Elizabeth, right? Joseph. I don't I don't have time to go into the whole thing, but God got this godly man ready to receive this news in the other part of this story. He gives her a god-fearing, masculine, holy man to stand with her, and he sends an angel to bring him in the loop. And Mary has been terrified for months that what's going to happen the first time she sees Joseph. What's going to happen? disdain, where is he, I'm done with you, but I mean, you can imagine the scene in Nazareth when she gets back, right, what happens, Joseph opens his arms, he says, Mary, come here, baby, she buries her face in his chest, and this masculine man and this feminine woman embrace together, this is the blessing of God on Mary's obedience, You can't miss this. However costly your obedience to the Lord, when you say, behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word, the Father meets you with blessings that the world could never give you, blessings that you could never imagine every time, every time, every time. And not just blessings for you, but blessings for everybody around you. Blessings to the world. Mary says yes to motherhood. Mary says yes to submission to God and to Joseph. And this ferociously holy woman raises this ferociously holy son and you and I and the world are saved. Who's glad that Mary said no to the world? Who's glad that Mary said yes to the Lord? Who is glad that Mary endured suffering and shame and stretch marks and sleepless nights and raised this child in the fear of the Lord, like Elizabeth said, believing that there would be a fulfillment of all that the Lord had spoken to her? I'm pumped about that. I'm pumped. There is no Christmas without Mary's courage and Mary's faith and Mary's femininity. There's no Christmas. Okay, let's move to application. This is more like vision of of what I want you to see and what I could see happening in the life of our church and our churches. So here's the first one. Father, may you fill Seven Mile Road with women who fearlessly Say yes to God's call. Hail, Seven Mile Road women, full of grace. The Lord is with you. His grace is all over you. He is for you. But he is calling you to a long, hard Difficult embracing of gospel and femininity in a Bostonian culture that hates and despises and disdains both of those words. Saying yes will be costly. Are you willing to be looked down on? Are you willing to forfeit applause and approval? Are you willing to forfeit comfort and convenience and safety? Are you willing to forfeit freedom and self-determination and independence? Set your heart, like Mary, to walk in what God has for you. Because wild, wild blessing awaits you. That's my prayer, that the women and the daughters that Jesus is entrusting to us would have no ambition at all but to do the will of God. Okay, and then secondly, women who say yes with each other. Women who say yes with each other. This is why we're planning a church. This is why we do gospel community. This is why we're doing this Kalos track in the coming years. We need what Elizabeth and Mary had to be had by the women in the life of our church. Look, I get it. Nobody on your block, in your family, at your kid's school, where you work, gets why you love and you worship Jesus. Nobody gets that. I know that nobody understands why you take the stands that you do with your children. I get it. I know how bizarre it is to people that you even have children, no less a second or a third or a fourth. They don't get it. I know that your unbelieving friends cannot fathom, can't fathom you submitting to a man who is less holy than you and less accomplished than you and less smart than you, they don't get that at all. I know that they don't get why you continue to forgive and forgive and forgive when you are sinned against. I know that they will never understand why you work to live on less than 85, 90% of what you make because you want to give to the gospel. I could keep rattling these off for you, right? I know that your world doesn't get it, but these women do, these women do, they know what it is to have the Lord show up and say, my grace is on you, my grace is on you, my favor is on you, my blessing is on you, you are mine, and you are going to serve me, and I'm going to bless you, and you're going to serve me, and I'm going to bless you. Think what would happen if 150 women lived here like Mary did together. Fearlessly obedient, fearlessly obedient, ferociously holy, holy, and wildly blessed. Let's ask the Father for that together. Father, we fail to trust that you're good. We just do. It's stupid, but we do. We fail to trust that you love us, We are terrified of this world thinking that we're backwards. We are terrified of losing the accolades and the approval and the applause of the world. We are so scared of of losing self-determination and freedom and independence. It terrifies us. But you can set us free if you could give us a vision of who you are and what you intend to do through us and what you call us through. Father, I pray for my sisters, I pray for my moms in this church, I pray for my wife, for the two daughters that you've given me. I pray that somehow by your grace, they would be fearlessly obedient and ferociously holy and wildly blessed. And I pray that what happens as the women of our church give themselves to this long and hard and difficult obedience, we would shock and surprise and attract and light up this mission field that you called us to. Father, we thank you for Mary and her obedience. We thank you that she carried and bore and nurtured Jesus and that he saved us. And I pray that you would give us a vision for walking in that gospel mission with you as well, whatever the cost. Hear my prayer and be answering, I pray. Amen.